Hello, and this week we've got a bit more bonus content for you as we wait for Series 2 to be ready. I do another podcast called Diminishing Returns, which is primarily uh, film-focused. We do film reviews, and Gareth is also a regular guest on that show. And when we did the first series, we thought, let's do a little tie-in. And so we looked at the Steptoe and Son film to tie in with our episode of British Sitcom History, where we looked at the Steptoe and Son series. So this is the audio from that. If you enjoy this and you'd like to hear more of Diminishing Returns, uh, you can find it uh, on all the normal podcast places, Diminishing Returns Podcast. So go and check that out. And I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. My name is Alan, with me as always is Saul. Hello. Joining us this week is our regular guest, Gareth. Hello. This episode is a sneaky uh, promo for a a new podcast that I've been working on with Gareth um, called the British Sitcom History Podcast. And that is why we are looking at a film spin-off of a sitcom today, because our new podcast... That came out a few weeks ago, and our very first episode was on Steptoe and Son. And so we thought today we could do uh, one of the film spin-offs. And you, Sol, have got yep. a bit of a thing for sitcom spin-off films. So you were all up for it, weren't you? Yeah, I, I, I really do, actually. I have I mean, I guess I like sitcoms and I like films. You so just like I'm to see really... <laughs> your favourite stars of the small screen on holiday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love seeing things awkwardly trying to replicate magic in a different medium and completely falling flat on their ass. <laughs> yeah, it never works. Never yeah. works. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, a, a few years back I did, you know, every now and then I'll kind of go, I'm going to watch all of these films in this category and, you know, yeah. Nicolas Cage films or, or <laughs> Best Picture winners at the Oscars or what have you. and Just so you can make another list. Yeah, and it, it was something like five, six years ago, but I thought, I'm going to watch every film. I'm going to watch every first episode just to kind of get myself set up on the show, and then the film based on every British sitcom I can possibly find. And, you know, I even I even watched the other day the Bad Education movie. That's how dedicated <laughs> to this I am. <laughs> well, yeah, there was a, a flurry of theatrically released films based on sitcoms in sort of the 70s, really. That was its peak. And it was all tied in with the British film industry and, and certain tax breaks and, and that sort of thing. You know, the mm. circumstances were just right. Whereas from the 80s onwards, they tended to, particularly the BBC, rather than do a theatrically released film, they'd just do an hour and a half long feature length episode. And sometimes Mm. it would be filmed differently, as in it wouldn't be in a kind of three camera in front of an audience. They would go and do it like a film. So there's an Only Fools and Horses special that there's Mm. no laugh track on and it's uh, really weird. But that was the, financially speaking, it was no longer viable to put them in theatres. It was easier just Mm. to do that kind of thing. And then it, that has sort of changed. Like you said, you've got the um, the teacher thing and then the in-betweeners. Oh, yeah. The, well, the, yeah, the in-betweeners movie kicked off a kind of new wave of, oh, yeah, we can make really successful low-budget films based on British sitcoms because that yeah. film made a crazy amount of money. And off the back of that, we got Keith Lemon, the film, that David <laughs> Brent movie, uh, in between there's two bad education. There was a real wave of them. I think it's died down again now, but it was a nice little patch yeah, for me. 
generally speaking, these film adaptations were just kind of some of the episodes slapped together, reused. Yeah, remade. Some of the actors recast, some of the actors kept. Yeah. Well, we did, we've done Rising Damp on us, on our. Yes, uh, yes, I remember that one. But uh, yeah, the film version of that was completely reused material. It was just sort of like three episodes stuck together, but reshot. And um, Richard Beckinsale was dead, so they just put another actor in. It was all kind of quite cheap and nasty. I mean, when you're making a decision, those production decisions, shall we, you know, which, which sitcom shall we adapt? Which, which movie shall we make this year? When 50% of your cast is dead, surely that, <laughs> how is that getting to the top of the list? <laughs> Well, they carried on the show after, like he he'd left the show before he died anyway. Like he left the show and they carried on, and it was fine. So they were obviously happy with that. Can I ask you guys what's what's the draw to British sitcoms then? I think there's a real sense of nostalgia for me. You know, I'm I'm 45, so going back into the late 70s, early 80s onwards, there, you know, that it's like a, a part of my childhood. But even before that, um, you know, Steptoe and Sons a bit before my time, really. But there's a nostalgia for a older Britain and some of the you know a lot of the jokes in Steptoe and Son are predicated on them being these sort of poverty stricken rag and bone men you know my, my dad and he tells stories from his childhood but mm. not a million miles away from those so there's, there's this, this kind of relatability there yeah I think for me it was just a real window into history like you know it's yeah. like oh that's what life was because you get all these little details from watching the likes of Steptoe and Son that I would just never pick up on in you know history lessons and things there's a lot of that in the Steptoe and Son film that we're yeah. talking about this week. You know, the the scene that I that really stayed with me because I'd watched it before. Obviously, I rewatched it again for this recording. But the scene that really stayed with me is quite near the start when Son, whatever his name is, Harry Corbett, what's his name, the character Harold. <laughs> Harold, when Harold's having a bath and he's in a little bath in his living room but it's on wheels and he's mm. just sat in front of the TV, you know it's obviously back in the day where you had to boil the water in the kettle and then fill the yeah. bathtub up that way and then he empties it out and he, outside. And he, want, he wants to change in. the TV channel so he has to wheel himself over to the <laughs> channel. They didn't have remote controls. <laughs> but I'd love that now. I'd love having a bath in front of the TV and wheeling <laughs> myself around the room with a little mini bar on a shelf. Well, the, the interesting thing about that, Saul, which we actually discuss in our episode on Steptoe and Son, is that when this was made, and this film was made in 72, that was really out of date. Like, that is showing how mm. poor and I did wonder that, yeah. these guys live, like their lifestyle is. You know, everyone had indoor plumbing by then. But we as viewers, like, 40 years later, like, certainly for me... I was like, yeah, people in the 70s still didn't have proper bathrooms. Yeah, probably that's true. (laughs) What about then, because I imagine this was very much of the time, the fact that the film has a a sequence where they go to like, is that a working man's club? Whatever it is. Yeah. But there's a whole, there's a group of like a hundred men sat around in a room and they've gone to watch a stripper and that's the night's entertainment. And presumably that was something that happened in the the 70s. You just go... I think that happened when I was a teenager, to be honest. But it's, but it's not. <laughs> it's not years a, ago. It's not a strip club. It's just they've gone to. No, like no, it's the, the working men's club. So a stripper on as the night. My father-in-law thing. still goes to the working men's club every Friday night up in, uh, in Middlesbrough where he lives. And yes, mm. I don't think they have strippers on there anymore. But they have a turn on. They have a they have a singer, and they might have a comic on from time to time, and they do a bingo, and they have a meat draw. That's that's survived. That that still happens. And and yet yeah, you would have. An evening, you got a, you got the comic. You got Mike Reed doing the comparing. He comes out, does a couple of mm-hmm. saucy gags. Oh, here's a turn. Stripper, drag act, singer. Yeah. Comic finishes with a song. I mean, that's get that's, drunk, go home. 
what is that if not Saturday night television these days? <laughs> you know, you've just basically described Saturday night on BBC. <laughs> well, this is the problem. I haven't watched TV for 20 years, so I have no idea <laughs> what people do anymore. But I can tell you what they did in the 70s. <laughs> can you tell me a bit about the context of how this got made and the history of, of that before we get into the plot itself? Well, Steptoe and Son started in 63, 62, 63. I think the original pilot was 62, and then maybe the series started the next year. Anyway, they did four series, and then there was this big gap where they kind of stopped doing it. There was a four-year gap, I think it was. Mm, well, I, I did see that, you know, typically I think we think of a movie being like the finale of a sitcom or, or like a bonus thing you do after the finale. Yeah. But I did see that they made a series after... There were two Steptoe and Son movies, and there was a series the year following the second movie that they did. So they obviously didn't end the show. Well, there was this big gap, yeah, and then they kind of went off and did other things. Nothing much came of it, so they went, oh, well, we'd better go back to what we know. So in 1970, they started again, and they did another four series. So it ran to 1974. But yeah, the films came out in 72 and 73. So it was just an aside. And generally speaking... The films are treated as non-canon. Like a, a good example of this is On the Buses. So mm. in On the Buses, they did the films while the series was still on, but they're totally different narratives. So in the in the film, in the first film, Olive and Arthur have a baby. So then in the mm. second film, it's a toddler, and and so on. But in the series, they never have a child. So with the with the Steptoe film here, we, we get ahead of ourselves, but you know that the, Harold gets married and divorced. That's the that's the setup for this film. So is that ever mentioned in any of the shows in the series, or is it just we just no, it never happened? It doesn't. But I think it, you could easily slip it into canon, as in this happened, and they just never mentioned yeah. it again. Like it, yeah. they don't change anything that we've already established, particularly. Do you know why they took that approach? I mean, I'm guessing it's so you can still enjoy one if you haven't seen the other, but. It just seems baffling to me to take that approach. You know, I, I the only modern film I can think that's done it is in the loop, which is this weird kind of right. This yeah. character's from the thick of it, Not as quite the same. you know, portrayed then, but it's obviously there's actors playing new characters. And it's perhaps can I can I make a suggestion? Is it because the the habit with sitcoms back in those days was that it was episodic and everything would return to. At the end of the episode, everything returned mm. to the start of the episode. So you couldn't develop the characters in that way. And so it was impossible for one of them to get married because you couldn't wrap it all up and marriage and divorce in half an hour. So they thought, right, well, we've got 90 minutes to play with. Yeah. Let's let's do a bigger arc. Is that, yeah. is that, is that, yeah. Do you think that's why they tackle that bigger... Probably, although as we'll see as we get into this film, it's not a, a smooth 90-minute arc. It, it just feels isn't. like three episodes jammed it's, it's together. very, very... Well, we'll get into it, but it's very clearly three half-hour episodes just yeah. stapled together, yeah. Yeah, so one is, oh, I've met a woman, I want to get married. The second one is, we're on a honeymoon and the dad's being a pain. And the third one is, oh, we've got a baby, two men and a baby, what are we going to do? Like, that's it, isn't it? It's three separate things smashed together. I called them... Are you ready, are you ready for this? I called them Steptoe and Stripper, Steptoe in Spain... Steptoe and Son and Son. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I think I wrote down Steptoe and Son and Son somewhere. Well. <laughs> yeah, <that makes laughs> Low-hanging <sense>. fruit. <laughs> but you, you're forgetting that they, to make it feel like a film, they start at the end and then the whole thing is a flashback. So it feels really neatly written, doesn't it? <laughs> that was an odd uh, yeah, I don't know why they did that, because it did kind of take all the drama out of it. Like, you knew the, the film opens with them it's leaving very the divorce weird, yeah. court. And then, yeah, we get a flashback of this whole marriage. But you could have left that open-ended. It could have been a nice surprise ending. 
But I, I had the thought, and, and I remember having this exact same thought, and the same thing happened to me when I first watched it. Oh, this must be picking up a plot from the last episode of the show, and obviously mm-hmm. I haven't seen that. I, I thought, like, oh, we must get <laughs> divorced at the end of the series, and that's the finale, and then this is going to deal with that. But, you know, very quickly, it's a flashback showing, oh, no, here's how he met the woman and everything. And it is, it is just very, very odd. And, and I did wonder, like, why is this the film? Because nothing about this strikes me as a, a cinematic plot that makes use of the medium in any sense that you can do on no. TV. But then, as you say, I suppose you, yeah, you're right. You couldn't do something as big as someone getting married and having a kid within the span of a half hour, effectively, where it returns to a status quo. That's why the cliche of sitcom films is they go on holidays. Because, like, mm. yeah, you've got to get them out into a bigger world. You've got to kind of take them out of our usual set. We're not shooting on the set. You know, the BBC owns the set and they won't let us use it because it's a different company making it. <laughs> so so yeah. we have to go somewhere else. Uh, and like even in this, in Steptoe and Son, like the, the yard they're using for the exterior shots are, are different to the ones they use. And, and the house is different, you know. Like we think of it, we're thinking of it as like, oh, a film, that's an opportunity to do something slightly different, something bigger and achieve something. Whereas it was more just like, look, we'll give you some money if you do a film. Like, uh, yeah, okay. And they know we can like we can make this for two hundred grand or whatever and make a million. It's like when a publishing house approaches the creators of a show and says, "Can we put all the scripts out as a book?" Yeah, <laughs> and, and you don't yeah. have to do any more work. It's pretty much all done. <laughs> Maybe write a foreword and you'll get a bit of money from it. I guess it's <laughs> that approach of like, how can we milk this for yeah. you know? In it's a, not. In a it's new not. Medium. It's not the the writers thinking that they want to spread their wings and do something new mm. with the characters. Mm. It's just. A... <laughs> It's just a different format. This was this was written by Galton Simpson, though the films were written by Galton Simpson, and it is largely new material. Uh, mm. So you know they did at least uh, write some new stuff. There is a couple of things like um, Albert Steptoe in the having a bath in the sink. You know they'd done that in the uh, in the show, I think. It's another really peculiar thing, actually. If it isn't based directly on an episode, they will take little greatest hits sequences yeah, just from it. And, th- and that that follows through all the way to, like, the bloody Mr. Bean movie did that. About, you know, <laughs> a good four or five of the set pieces in the Mr. Bean movie are just lifted directly from but I think there's two reasons so. for that, Sol. I think, I think, number one, you've got the fans who want to see those greatest hits. But also they are thinking they might find a new audience here. And mm. so they want to use their best material. And they've got a lot, generally speaking, by the time they get to a movie, they've got a back catalogue. They've got a lot of writing mm. done. So there'll be some good stuff in there. The whole laugh track thing, I've, I've always wondered if there are any instances of films out there that have a laugh track and it's not like a crazy David Lynch trying to freak <laughs> people out sort of thing. Mm. I mean, obviously the laugh track is because sitcoms... Well, this is my interpretation of it anyway. Sitcoms stem from live theatre. You would do these tightly written comedy shows to a live audience. So the idea is to replicate that energy and make Mm -hmm. things funny by hearing other people laughing around you. Mm -hmm. And and the idea is when you then make a film of it, you're going to see it in the cinema with people all around you. So there's no need to have a laugh track anymore because you'll you'll have that live laughter in the cinema. It just saps the pacing and the energy. Yeah, yeah, it does completely. I, I, and I think that is ultimately the major failing of films based on sitcoms and why they just don't work. They don't play because they don't have the same energy. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they don't have the same energy, and it doesn't feel like live performance. And certainly in British sitcom, 
that was yeah it was standard you do you get an audience in you performed you do the whole thing basically as a play and they all laugh you record them laughing and you put and you use it and not much fake laughter at all america has much more of a culture of just adding fake laughs on and it's usually pretty obvious but it's also yeah. usually because they're not funny uh, yeah, let's let's dive into the the film itself then. Yeah, so uh, we yeah we we've we've had our little preamble where we we see that he's been divorced. We we flash back. Harold is going to the local club for a night out. Albert insists on going with him because there's crumpet there. Oh, first of all, we see them getting ready. We see uh, and we get a, a nice shot of. Wilfred Bramble, who is just such a scrawny little old man, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, it's just perfect casting because he is—he is, he is just... a phenomenally ugly man. <laughs> and he's yeah. just—we see him getting out of the bath, and he's just like a wizened little old man with no yeah. fat on him whatsoever. How old was he? Out of interest. Not By this point, think. he was sixty. <laughs> I was going to say, because it, it, it did reek of that thing where they kind of make someone look older than they are, which I guess he kind of is. He's kind of playing it older than 60, I think. He was 50 when the show started, and I think the character's supposed to be like 64 or something like that. Yeah. This is 10 years later, so he's kind of aged up into it a little bit. But but also, yeah, you know, he's got the false teeth in to make him look kind of like more kind of old and wizened and like horrible teeth and all that sort of yeah. thing and and he he was used to playing older just because i guess he looks older than he was but yes we we go to the the working men's club and I, and i i just thought like this this night as we discussed earlier you know comics uh stripper drag act with a load of like football players and drunk men it's possibly the worst case scenario for me like the worst possible situation <laughs> to be in I just can't imagine like going to a pub to me is like a horrible idea. So well, going, you think it's bad for you? Imagine being the only woman in there and being naked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I, I found this very odd because this film is rated PG, and yet there is, is like a full bit of nudity. Ooh, there is a little boobs, bit of nudity in there. I was quite surprised. That a little bit of boob, a little bit of bum. Because I thought, well, this is this is why it's a movie and not a TV show. You know, you've got a little bit of uh, a risqueness. And beyond that, there's a lot of vulgar language and stuff it's quite hardcore for a pg film um and i i guess that's to do with it was rated a back in the day which i, I guess times was, have changed it's maybe you know, a pg had, now yeah i guess they had like adult and suitable for all i think i remember reading something saying that they cut a bit of boob out of the theatrical release but it's in the dvd version so it might have been slightly uh, more edited but yeah, that that's a classic in in the on the buses film. Obviously, in on the buses, you've got Stan never gets his end away, but Jack, his mate, is always like got some housewife on the go, even yeah. though he's horrifically ugly. A bit of nooky. Yeah, and in 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 the and so obviously you never see anything in the show, but in the film, like the first scene is him running out of a bedroom and then a woman with just tits out completely and he's like yes we can finally show some tits get them out come on <laughs> so but does that lose us something that. doesn't it the whole thing it's the mm. whole charm of on the buses it's like that 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 seaside postcard type thing you know it's <laughs> yeah. it's, it's risque but it's not rude in that same way it feels like they're throwing the Throwing the, the bathwater up, the baby out with the bathwater there. I guess by modern standards, it's still pretty tame stuff, really. But um... <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I'm offended by it, but it just it just seems that you know if the idea is 
what are, what's the point of making a film? What are we doing different? We're going to show some tits. Well, great. Is that enough? Is that enough of a justification to, to yes. make a film? <laughs> can, I, can I wrestle us back to the, the plot of this yes. film? Because after yes. we've seen the, the, the stripper, Harold meets her outside in the bar, and this is with the, the burgeoning romance. Well, here's my question, which, which I kept coming back to throughout this film. Is she a goodie or a baddie? <laughs> like, I couldn't tell whether she was exploiting him or whether it was mm. just, you know, she genuinely did love him or whether it was just, you know, love at first sight. It, it just, it was, it never this really made itself I, clear to me. I struggled with the film in general on this sort of front, but, you know, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to like anyone in the film at all. <laughs> and I, I think it's a real fault of the film. I think it's a fault of harry corbett's performance to be honest i don't like him or warm to him and i don't think they're going for that sitcom classic comic monster where this guy's a knob but you actually see a lot of endearing traits that mean you kind of understand where they come from and sympathize with them i guess he's just not a very nice person in a lot of ways and i guess this is a a, you know it's to do with changing attitudes and the time it was made but you know he He's looking at this this woman after getting a, a Dear John letter, and he says, I'll smash her bleeding face in when I see yeah. and you're And you're just meant to think, yeah. like, yeah, that's a reasonable uh, <laughs> thing to say and expect. Like, don't, it's not yeah. a joke. You're not meant to think, ooh. And then he goes around to a house with a, with a pipe or something to... Well, this is an interesting <laughs> thing, because for me, from the context of having seen the show... There's no way he would do that. It's kind of, he's just speaking in anger. You don't really believe he would do it. Although he does then go to her house with a pipe in his in his hand. But I mean, yeah. even so, that's a very aggressive, unpleasant thing to say, even if it's not something that you would yeah, but this is a do. Yeah, his wife's just left him on his honeymoon. So it's like, you know, he's a bit worked up. I, think... I know, I know. But it's 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 just weird to, you would never get that aimed at the wife in this day and age you you might get it aimed at the man that he kind of believes she's sort of run off with potentially but yeah it's i don't know and and that's just one example that i wrote down but there were you know multiple instances of things like that where i was like oh i don't really like well like i say i think (laughs) there's absolutely no way he as a character would do that would actually follow through on that yeah and like even if he rushes in with a pipe in his hand he's then gonna go oh what the hell am i gonna do uh but that is an interesting point you raise because I was thinking, like, if you weren't familiar with the show, how mm. how does this film play? Because there's so yeah. much sort of context that helps me through this. Part of the problem is the series by this point was several years in and they had slightly lost track of what had made it g- good in the first place. And part of that is that Harold, the son, just has no power anymore at all he's completely impotent and well, totally well that, that's that's part of what i hated about him he yeah. was just this pathetic the amount of yeah. times in this film it's like take charge of your life that's obviously the setup of the conflict between the characters but in the earlier series he's definitely got a lot more aspiration he's trying to do things mm. and the father will hold him back but in a less direct way whereas now like and by this point it is literally he wants to get married and albert's like no nah, no nah, you're not going to do that and then for some reason like goes on the honeymoon with them and it's never really yeah, explained, it's never how, explained. That happened. how did he talk his way into that you know and then mm. 
And it's just a, a bit of nonsense. And also, another sort of problem structurally with the film is that we have this big jump where he, you know, he comes back after the night out and he's like, oh, I've fallen in love. Cut to wedding day. It's wedding. like, what? Yeah, well, we, the next episode. So why, how, we, we don't get any of the dad, like, you know, trying to talk him out of it or whatever, which we just get all that afterwards. But perhaps after what, what you're asking, and I think what Sol's asking is, you know, why? how, do, how does... Albert end up on the honeymoon. We never really find that out, but we don't need to find that out because we know from seeing these characters for years and years that that is inevitable. Mm. And anybody mm. who was watching this film when it came out would have had that background. They would have seen every episode of this. I think I get it and I understand how it's inevitable with these characters, but it doesn't make me like that character because it makes him a victim of his own circumstances in a way where I just have no sympathy for it. It's like, I don't care how annoying and weaseling your dad is, like, just be firm, put your foot down at a certain point, like, Mm. leave him to it. And, and, And then again, you know, he gets food poisoning and he... It's like, right, go home then. You want to go home? Go home. Like, Yeah, that, that whole bit doesn't quite play because we're supposed to believe he's so genuinely concerned about his dad's yeah. health that he's like, oh, well, I'm going to have to go. I'm sorry, love. I'm mm. going you know, to have to leave you here. And she, she for backs listeners who up. haven't, So yeah, for listeners who haven't seen the film, you know, he meets this woman, they get married very quickly, and then they rush off on the honeymoon. The dad comes along. And then he gets food poisoning the first day, basically, the first night. And there's only two seats on the plane because it's so last minute. So he and his dad have to go back and leave his wife alone. And there's a man with a moustache who's clearly got more (laughs) testosterone than than, uh, Harry. So he's scared that she's going to run off with him because she knows him and they're a bit flirty. But that's it. So she... She backs him up in like, okay, he is actually ill. Yeah, go and you you need to kind of be with your father. Well, she kind of says you have to go be. She, I mean, she kind of does, but then she's clearly really pissed off about it. She clearly would rather he stay. But the whole point is that in the series, what would happen was Albert would try and stop him, try and stop him, try and stop him. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm doing my own thing. I'm doing my own thing. And then he would have a heart attack, or at least fake it well enough, so that he would. Oh my god, I am actually properly worried now, and you've got me again. And that's it. But because in the build-up to this, we don't have the sincere Harold facing off against his father, so this is just another moment of capitulation, rather than Mm. the actual moment of capitulation where he's like, oh my god, I am actually worried now. And so it doesn't quite play in the way that I think it's supposed to. And I, I think also, just in terms of the structural problems of this, like I said, we, we don't see any of the courtship, really. We just jump straight to the wedding. I, it did feel a little bit like they'd done everything possible to cut as much of this woman out of the film as possible. <laughs> um, but when we actually see her, she seems to be a perfectly competent actor and everything. But it, it feels like, how can we... How can we may have this character of this woman, but not actually write a character for her or give her any personality or put anything into that effort whatsoever? Well, when I asked earlier, you know, is she a goodie or a baddie? And that's what I mean. There's no, we don't get any of her motivations. Why has she fallen in love mm. with this guy so quickly? You know, does she, does she want to spend her honeymoon? Of course she's pissed off his dad's there. But then she does seem to sympathize. He's not well, yeah. you need to look after him. So I, I never really know where she is and what she no, really is I, feeling. I, it it feels like there's something 
cut from the film, frankly, that unlocks yeah. her, her character. But the whole because... point about Steptoe and Son is that it is about Steptoe and his son. And mm. in the series, it's very much a two-hander. You know, the, the dialogue between the two, the interaction between the two is the source of all the comedy. And so th- there isn't room for someone else. You know, there's no room in, the, in, in his life for a wife, but there's no room in the comedy for a, another character either. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say this... It almost felt like a parody of Steptoe and Son. It felt like, you know, Harry Enfield and Paul Whitehouse doing a sketch <laughs> of Steptoe and Son because it was just so... It kind of had all the ingredients there, but no nothing behind it and kind of no meaning to anything. And, uh, and it just felt like it was taking the piss out of the cliches of the show. Did you notice as well? I mean, this just as... Just to speak of uh, what you were saying there, Gareth, about it being Steptoe and Son, they go to the wedding and there's no one there. They ha- he has no friends, they have no family there. There's nobody it's, in the It's in just him and his dad as his best man. It's, yeah. it's pathetic, really. Yeah. Let's move Let's move the plot onwards. So, so Albert and Harold come home. She stays there, as, as he puts it. She's on the nest with old Oily. <laughs> so, she's, so she's now uh, having an affair with the guy with the moustache. And so we're back to Steptoe and Son, and, you know, here we are again. Suddenly, he receives a bundle of postcards and a letter from her, mm. which is, you know, he reads through them one oh, by it's, one. It's, 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 it's tragic, but it, it, goes from, it goes from missing you to I'm leaving you, in, you know, all in within a minute. But it's the way he lines them up in order of when they were yeah. sent, and it ends with a letter. I mean, it's clear as day what's about to happen. <laughs> yeah. I you guess can it's see supposed it to be. Is that, is that the joke? Yes. I, I mean, this is something I, I know. that and surprised by what Yeah, <laughs> I know it's... Um, I know times have changed and styles and sensibilities have changed, but th- this film never really was very funny for me. Was it funny for you? I, I, <laughs> I, like there were, it registered as no. jokes. Interestingly, was... me and I watched this uh, last night with my wife, and at the end, she wasn't very happy. At the very <laughs> end, she said, "Well, I didn't laugh once, and <laughs> I had to admit that neither had I." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, and it definitely part of that is the lack of laughter. You don't get the shared laughter, and you don't sort of pull it out of you. But mm. at the same time, yeah, it's not it's not as funny as the show, and it's not as it's not funny. <laughs> well, I laughed when we watched we watched episodes of this for our podcast. I, I you know I laughed several times, but mm. no, the film wasn't as funny. And you know, I must say, I for whatever reason, the rhythm of, of jokes, like I can go, well, that joke works, even though it doesn't make me laugh. I don't find it particularly funny. It's, it's a perfectly adequately constructed joke. I do find that very watchable. You know, I'm not saying I hated it, I guess. It it just felt a bit tragic in some ways. One of the best aspects of the show is the dialogue. There's a lot of wordplay and, and and, Mm. and just the way they speak Mm. to each other. There's a real, uh, there, there's just lots of funny lines, and it's it's lacking it's that well as well. Written. There's the odd one or two, but it's just not it's not got the same. Well, again, I I just I read that line about the lobster that I wrote that down, and when again I think we watched three episodes of Steptoe and Son for our sitcom, uh, our podcast, and I wrote down so many lines that I yeah. that really made me smile, and oh, that's a beautifully written line, and I, that's the only one I wrote down from the film. Uh, so, uh, what's the the sort of the next part of the story is all of a sudden one day he goes into the stable, hears a noise, and there's a baby being left there. Oh, at some point he goes and meets the wife and realizes she's pregnant, and they do a whole bit where she's yeah, yeah, yeah. He's... gonna come in. Well, then we have a scene where she goes to his or his dad's house, I suppose. And I really thought then it's like if you're not gonna go to hers, at least clean up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> this is something I've done in the show by. 
about seven times by this point. You know, he brings a woman back, or he's he's finally got in with a woman, and they want to get married, but Albert manages to ruin it somehow. There is an episode where a woman turns up and she's pregnant and she's like, oh, I think this is yours. Remember we met at that party? I got drunk. I can't remember what happened. And then, and again, it transpires it's not his in the end. Mm. But they get very excited about the idea of having a baby and, and, and so he's disappointed at the end. So it's it's like they've kind of done it all before. So we are replaying that extent. here. Yeah. Did you, did you like, because he meets this woman who's, you know, this, this beautiful stripper, that's the idea, and she meets him at the bar when he's getting a drink, and the idea is they, they hit it off and it's love at first sight or whatever it is, but he's very passive, he doesn't, you know, he's not a particularly attractive man or a particularly charming man, she just for whatever reason decides she likes it. that's why I am assuming from the start she's she's playing him. She's trying to get something. She's not she's yeah. not genuine. Well, uh, but we never got that though, because there's nothing to get. Yeah, yeah. Although there is a sequence here where they're talking about they're talking about getting Albert's inheritance. They want what they want mm. his money. And all the way through that, I was thinking, how much money has Albert got squirreled <laughs> away? Because it, it seemed to be a big point. Well, of, he's uh, he's got a lovely lovely big house in London, but I think back in 1972, <laughs> that was probably not worth very much at all, was it? In, you know? uh, in Steptoe and Sunride again, he has £819 in savings. Oh, uh, in quite, cash, quite just in a, in a shoebox. And Harold wants to send the kid to Eton on that. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so yeah, Albert scares off the woman again. That's done. Six months later, oh, look, a baby is in the stable. So obviously yeah. a natural assumption is that it's uh, her baby that she's dropped off there. And then we have the two men and a baby sequence where they kind of learn to love again. He puts it on himself that he's going to become really wealthy to give the kid like this incredible life. So he just yeah. takes it. Like He doesn't have to do that. I think he'd be perfectly capable of providing for it otherwise from what we see. And- but... And what we we kind of get a hint of here, but never we never quite get there, which would have been a good way to go with this, is that, you know, Albert, all of a sudden, you know, he's raised a baby before and he's got a few tricks up his sleeve. He knows what he's doing and he can help yeah. Harold. They can bond over that. They we see, a, we see an interesting new side of Albert here, don't we? He's, yeah. You know, he's quite affectionate. Because that's another thing in the series. You know, Albert is ultimately the antagonist to Harold, but we, we still sympathise with him. We still understand where he's coming from. And he gets his moments of victory in the show. Whereas in the film, he's just an annoying dick the whole time. And and so we get a chance here to see that different side. And it just never quite develops enough or, or it, it, it needed... Like, this could be the whole film, couldn't it? A baby turns up one day and it's like, oh, it's that woman mm. you you were seeing six months ago. And then the whole film is, yeah, you know, raising a baby or whatever. And then they lose it. Yeah. yeah, it feels like they don't know how to write for more than 28 minutes at a time. And, mm. and, and so they just don't know what to do. At, at the very end, the baby disappears. The baby's taken back by its mother. Um, and so he goes to find her. And it, obviously the, the, the punchline is it's a different baby. So this baby that they've been looking after has got nothing to do with, with Harold. It's some other baby. Yeah. Um, but there's a scene where he's he's trying to find Zeta, the stripper. And so he goes to another football club where she's performing. And he gets his head kicked in, doesn't he? Because <laughs> like, someone, someone manhandles her. And so he stands up to them. And yeah, it all kicks off and he gets a proper shoe in. I like how they play it with like the rugby team or whatever that they're they're beating up, but it's not they're not like angry at him. They're just having a laugh. It's like yeah, let's, let's, let's kick this guy's head in. Yay! <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yes, it, he finds her and she has the baby there. And just to be absolutely crystal clear, it's a different baby. They make it black. And that's it. <laughs> um, then we go back to them coming out of the divorce courts. And they're like, oh, we had a baby for a bit. That was nice, wasn't it? Lost it. <laughs> We're back and we reset and we can go for the next episode. Well, you know, I have to say that my, my, I know this is obviously a film podcast and not a TV podcast, but I have to say that the film was a, a massive step down from the TV series. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a good adaptation of Steptoe and Son, even from the one episode I've seen. It, it seems like a lot of stuff isn't working properly or has been, you know, lost in translation or just isn't done as well because maybe the writers are running out of ideas or something. I don't know. But at the same time, I find it very watchable and easy to sit through. So, I mean, it, that's worth yeah. something. I don't get bored from it. I remember thinking the second one, Steptoe and Sunrise Again, is like actually a passable film from what I remember. I, I liked it more than this one, but it's been so long since I watched them, I couldn't. Yeah, I I can clarify that because I watched them both. Because I watched Steptoe and Son for this, I thought, oh, I'll watch the other one. It's just a little bit better structured. It's sort of, it's still, it's still pretty much a, th- a three-part thing. I think that was it for me. I just remember thinking, oh, that felt actually like a film. <laughs> like, yeah, like... it's it's still a bit of a three-part thing because you know the first bit is about them getting a greyhound, and then the the la- and then the second half is about them faking Albert's death, and they're kind of connected. But yeah, it, it's still a bit dodgy. But it's better, and I think you get a few more gags. So that's all for this little bonus content. Uh, Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Series 2 will be here with us soon. And we will probably be doing another tie-in episode with Diminishing Returns, uh, as we will be looking at a sitcom in our second series that does have a film spin-off. Quite a different one to Steptoe and Son, though, so uh, that will be interesting to look at. But I won't give away what it is just yet. Now, please do go check out Diminishing Returns. If you enjoyed that, it's Diminishing Returns podcast at any of the normal podcast places, or you can go to dimreturns.com. That's a website dedicated to it. So do please go check that out if you like to hear my voice talking about films. And of course, you can always find us at BritcomPod on Instagram and Twitter. And do go and enjoy all our episodes. Thank you for listening.